0: Veni 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 Venias and welcome to our podcast. Good evening and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight as always is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So tonight we're gonna talk about uh, women artisans. I feel like artisan, artisanal is a word that gets thrown around a lot in modern culture. Yes. Um, often with relation to <laughs>
1: cheese people making or... <laughs> things
0: cheese bread yes beer I suppose coffee Ooh, maybe yes. there's a
1: certain food mostly I guess
0: <laughs> yeah I guess so <laughs> yeah. um a certain snobbery about it yes right like artisanal bread is better than just like regular bread right um I mean maybe it is uh but <laughs> The I mean, word certainly has a certain yes, weight to it. Um, yeah. But back in the day, everything was basically artisanal in a sense because yep. there were no industrial processes.
1: Yes, <laughs> exactly. And right, it's worth also pointing out that, of course, you know, your local bakery is artisanal, but they might not call themselves that or be thought of that way. Mm-hmm.
0: You know. We have a great bakery right across the street that makes... Amazing chocolate chip cookies, but they aren't advertising themselves as artisanal cookies.
1: But they could be. (laughs)
0: Um, They could be.
1: (laughs) They are on some level.
0: Yeah. I would definitely still be going over there and spending a lot of money on, you know, chocolate chip cookies. But yes, you know, that's just me.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Yeah, this is, of course, the point is that in the Middle Ages, things were not industrialized. This is one of the things that divides our eras, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, It's harder to tell when the Middle Ages starts and ends. We've talked about that. It's kind of arbitrary. It's basically given a thousand years from 500 to 1500. But, you know, it gets stretched on either side for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Industrial Revolution... It's a pretty good run. Yeah, is a very sort of specific moment. Um, That being said, of course, things that lead up to it... Do start to happen towards the end of the Middle Ages. So if you think mm-hmm. of
0: something like printing, yes, the uh, the advent of the printing press and the ability mm-hmm. to sort of mass produce books was a major thing in in um, like the history of the church of education. Like it yep. changes so many things. Yes, because
1: suddenly things are widely available, and of course literacy, right? Mm-hmm. It- drives up literacy. More people are more literate. Um, This is something we'll probably talk about in the future, a little more, ideas of literacy. But it's also worth pointing out, literacy also depended on sort of geography a little bit. Um, So there are times and places when more people seem to have been literate. Mm -hmm. It could also, of course, depend on, you know, Scandinavia. Parts of Scandinavia, like Iceland to this day, are very, very, very literate. Mm -hmm. Um, Iceland... You know, everyone can read, and they have a big Scandinavia's like you. They have a big book ceremony on Christmas. That's not oh. quite right. <laughs> they have a big book sale thing that goes on in like December. Okay. And like famously, you know, it's like uh, Belgium and chocolate. Okay. I think sure. I think in Belgium they eat like something like five pounds or twenty pounds of chocolate <laughs> per person, or something like this per year. Oh. Anyway, yeah, something astronomical. But you know, if you've had Belgian chocolate. In Belgium, you understand you it definitely. Yes. Understand yes. So yes. Um, yeah, so books, right?
0: Especially like in Iceland, uh, books mm-hmm. is kind of the the thing. Um, but Iceland is a country that is not especially like people aren't super spread out. I think right, and like a lot of Scandinavia, people live sort of in the the southern part of it more, right? Yes, because that's because where you can't you can see <laughs> the sun <laughs> ever? Yes. Yeah. So it's easier to maybe have teachers in, you know, in a smaller geographical area.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also just, um, you know, it's a kind of, um, again, right? I mean, just sort of cultural literacy. Um, if there are not a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and writing is a very solid form of communication, You know, even in snow or sleet or whatever. Um, so yes, with very few people, (laughs) yeah, very long winters, communication is difficult. I mean, you know, the written, it's sort of understandable by the written word. The other interesting thing, though, for example, is that, um, again, Iceland more so, and it's worth pointing out, by the way, I say Scandinavia, but of course, like Finland has its own language, right? Like Finno Uruk is the only, I mean, Finnish is the only surviving you know language left
0: from their <laughs> Do they still think it might be related to Hungarian? Have they dropped that theory?
1: Yeah, every now and then someone tries to connect them to other things, but it's it's pretty much sort of still considered its own. Okay. You know, I mean, Finno-Ugric yes is ultimately connected to other things somewhere, but given the way we usually look at language trees, it's pretty much on its own. Okay. Compared to other Scandinavian languages. But um Iceland, you know, the, their language hasn't really changed enough mm-hmm. compared to, you know, English, of course, compared to Old English. Old English is in some ways closer to, I mean, it's a form of Old German, mm-hmm. right? It's very clearly German in yeah. a way that modern English is much less clearly German. <laughs> it is when you really look at it, but it's sort of mm-hmm. harder to tell. So... um you basically can read
0: Middle English with very little training, but you can't do that with Old English. Exactly. As a modern English speaker. Right.
1: Um whereas Iceland Icelandic is um basically more like Middle English. Old Icelandic <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to modern Icelandic is a little bit more like Middle English to modern English. Which is mm-hmm. to say it has not it's changed, but you know, you can still read it. Yeah. More or less. Um, You know, it's not to say that Middle English, like Chaucer, you know, you usually take a class in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But nonetheless, it is, yes, it is clearly the same
0: language. Um, I remember seeing a movie in Swedish, I think, and feeling that it was almost basically in English, that they were just pronouncing funny or something. Yes.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so the history of books, the history of reading. um, And one of the reasons I bring this up, of course is because we don't think about this because of industrial stuff and printing. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, of course, printing can be an art form. I mean, obviously, printmaking. But again, that's artisanal. You are carving blocks. You are setting things. You are engraving. Mm -hmm. You know, modern industrial printing, the printing press, how we get newspapers or how we used to get newspapers before we got them on our iPads, um, (laughs) that is not
0: considered an artisanal sort of craft it's typesetting or whatever yes no exactly
1: um and you know creating a font can be artisanal i mean so yes there's Mm -hmm. still a lot of crafts connected to it um but basically of course the reminder that bookmaking used to be absolutely a craft and still is i mean if Mm -hmm. you people do still make books and it's still a craft right yeah um and i can't remember if we've talked about it in this class i love to teach um this class this podcast i love when i teach class um i have them I didn't do it as much this year because it's harder to do over Zoom. But I might open with this, I think, um, my first class <laughs> after winter break. Um, but I have them take a sheet of paper and then we fold it in half, which for a folio, which mm-hmm. is the biggest size. And then again, write a quarto and again an octavo. Um, and then you're supposed to staple it in the middle. Um, and then you number the pages in this very specific way. Um, and usually I have them actually open it back up before they fold it back down and staple it. But yeah. you open it up and you see how you wrote all the pages so you actually see the layout. Mm-hmm. right? The, and then you fold it back up and you staple it and then you slit the pages, which is what you used to have yeah. to do. Um, and then you have your book, right? And um, books, now we number pages, right? One, two, three, four, all the way up. But mm-hmm. it used to be, um, a page was actually the whole sheet.
0: Right? The whole and folio. Verso.
1: Yes, right front and back. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so that's what I have them do. And we sort of talk about it. We talk about size. We talk about the fact that a folio is ostensibly kind of the size of a sheep. Or I guess half a sheep. <laughs> half <laughs> <Okay>. a sheep. <laughs> um, okay, I didn't learn that one in library school. <laughs> yes. If you think of the backbone as being kind of like the, the fold, okay. right? Yeah. Um, sure. And that you know, because you weren't regularly going to get vellum bigger than mm-hmm. that, basically. I mean, that True. was your average size, right? Okay. Um, and so, yeah, and then you would trim it down, right? Um, by folding it and cutting it and folding it and it.
0: Yeah, and you can see why that would be an expensive book, because then it would take a lot of vellum to make one whole. Yes, whole exactly.
1: Year. A lot of sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, or possibly, you know, goats and so on. But yes, high quality. Um yeah but of course, for a cheaper book, you could get a lot of pages out of one sheet by just mm-hmm. folding it a lot and ending up with like an octavo, <laughs> yeah instead. Um, and then of course, you would you would once you had your size, um you know, maybe every quarto has like sixteen sheets in it or something, mm-hmm. um, depending on how you folded it. well, then you sew them together, you would sew mm-hmm. together several choirs to make your book. Yeah. Right? Um, which is how you get collections of stuff, you know, because people would have their little sort of, you know, manuscript and they'd write in it. And then there'd be a bunch of them and they would just collect them together and sew them together and bind them into a book. Okay. Um. So, yeah, this is an important craft. And then, of course, you might have written on it before. You might or you might bind everything into a big book and write in it afterwards if you know it's going to be a really important book, like a psalter, write something
0: religious, mm-hmm. probably. Something um, where you also already know, basically, what's going in it.
1: Yes, so you know how many pages just, you'll need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but binding, you know if a book was well made or if we're well restored, um, if when you open it, and in this case, I say book, but I should be saying manuscript, because we're talking about vellum and sewn binding, um, if when you open it, it it stays open. Hmm. Right? The bane of every modern paperback getting its spine broken. Yes. because now we just glue them together, right? Mm -hmm. But when they're properly sewn, right, it's not supposed to be too tight. You open it to any page, it should just lay open that you have it. Um, Yeah, so it's a phenomenal craft. We'll talk a little bit more about it again as I said in the future, but I want to sort of lay the groundwork because in addition to making the book, right, there are a ton of steps, Mm -hmm. right? So first of all, there's making the parchment. Yes. um, Which, of course, you scrape and you prep and all this whole process. Yes, and then you, of course bind it <laughs> right maybe into just sort of the sheaves or you know maybe choirs mm-hmm. maybe a whole book and then there of course once you have it once you have your book your manuscript um there's the writing <laughs> writing is absolutely
0: a craft if you're a scribe mm-hmm. um you there are know specific um hands that scribes would learn yes um mm-hmm. we I know you and I talked about this when we were designing the logo for mm-hmm. um <laughs> for our podcast. Yes. Because I happen to prefer uh, Carolingian minuscule <laughs> yes. as as a a hand. Yep. And uh you happen to prefer like black lettering.
1: Yes. Well it's just the so iconic you know It's true. It's so iconic. It's um, true. It's also I have to say like very legible (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is definitely um you know some are more legible than others i think is the way to put it right yes um so that is definitely an issue as well but yes so the scribe um and you would score the page meaning you would give yourself lines to write on you know so what Mm -hmm. we all probably well i don't know anymore but yeah it used to be in school you'd get um you know that stupid, stupid, like, handwriting paper.
0: <laughs> the gray stuff that would, like, tear if you erased anything.
1: Yes. And it had, like, yeah. the size that the letters were supposed to be, and then, like, the dot in the middle, where, like, if you're making a yes. D, like, it. yeah. Well, I mean, if you are a real scribe, you—that that is exactly what you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yes.
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, like, people um, who do um, fancy calligraphy, like, if you watch a video of somebody doing copperplate... Yeah, yeah. They still draw, they'll draw lines out for Mm -hmm. themselves like that. Yeah. And uh, I do that, like, sometimes I do fake calligraphy because Mm -hmm. being left-handed, I can't write with a calligraphy pen, but I I can kind of, like, sketch the letters out with a pencil and then color them in. Yes. So I draw the the lines beforehand. Yeah,
1: absolutely, right? I mean, it's a very useful thing to do. And, Mm -hmm. yes, if you're actually doing this as a craft, that, that is what you do. Um, so then, and you know, you can find books that, you know, sometimes they're still there. Anyway, so you find all the sort of, um, you can have little pinpricks where, like, certain things are supposed to end. Um, or, you know, where you're going to have an image, an illumination, for example. Um, yeah. Anyway, so you sort of, you, you really lay it out, right? Because you get one shot. You can scrape it. We talked about that in our pet episode of where right. the cat, you know, we had the cat walk across yes. and the cat pee on the, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that there has been evidence maybe of some of this other places, but you can actually scrape them, which is where we get pound cysts. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, ideally you do it once, right? So you lay it out.
0: Um, you're not working in pencil to begin with. Like you have ink and it's serious ink made from like carbon and stuff.
1: Yes. Um, you know, and it's actually, I mean, some illuminators and so on might sketch their illustrations, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you would fill them in because, of course, you know, like any, you know, some things never change. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other thing, of course, is that the scribe and the artist are probably two different people. Not always, but frequently. Mm-hmm. Right. The person with the great handwriting is not the great artist. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have one person who's doing the writing, but then they're leaving space for their illuminator to make the initials for example, Mm -hmm. um, to make other images, you know, there might be a whole page, a page or a partial page,
0: or, you know, of course you leave margin. Am I remembering that the person who did the, so I think it's called rubrication, the red lettering in some of the texts was also somebody separate from the person who did black lettering.
1: Frequently. It depends again. Right. Um, it depends on how fancy that letter is, basically. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um Which is where we get... How big is your
0: monastery? Yes.
1: Right. It's where we get, like, illumination. Um, you know, really, there are names for... We tend to use illumination as just, like, all of the artwork, but technically that isn't true. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you have the sort of fancier letters that are still just letters. Mm-hmm. Then you have um, things like sort of you know, historiated initials, which have, like, the people in them and stuff, right? Where you get the whole scenes, yeah. right? So you um, you have ones that are just decorative. You know, there's a huge variety of stuff.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the little snails in the margins. Yes. That's some separate or whatever, sea monsters sometimes. Yes, all
1: of these things, you know.
0: Dogs. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Dogs and rabbits, you know, hunting or being hunted or playing trumpets or sometimes, you know, grotesques. Mm-hmm. With little animals with faces coming out their butts and stuff. Um, sometimes things are obscene. Sometimes things from daily life. So like the Latrell Psalter, I know we've posted in the comments before, or in the notes, but um, very, very famously has scenes from everyday life in the village, right? The Latrell Salter is, was for the village. I mean, it's a salter. <clears throat> it was made for the lord, and mm-hmm. there's a picture of him, Sir Joffrey, Latrell, um, on, it's a fantastic image of a knight. I mean, this is like the quintessential <laughs> stereotypical knight on his fancy horse. His horse is all dressed up. Um, and it's got his, like, his wife and daughter handing him his stuff, you know. Um, and he's got everything. You know, he's got his armor and his shield and his spear and all the stuff. Um, and his horse has all the stuff. But then the rest of the, Book is details from his village, basically like ordinary people doing stuff. Mm. Yeah, which is so rare, right? I mean, usually <laughs> there aren't a lot of pictures of ordinary people doing stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there are, of course. There's like people plowing a field, shearing yeah. um, stuff like that, eating eating at a table type mm-hmm. of thing.
1: Yeah, so you know stuff like this. So it's whatever, and you know moments like that. You you know the illuminator is. From the area, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, so the illuminator is frequently different from the Scribe, because you can tell they're very, very different skills. Um, yes. And so, some not always. There are people who did it all themselves, but frequently. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, so we have mentioned the Lachal Seltzer. There's some other, probably... Well, I don't know. One of the more famous, we've mentioned um, the Hours of Catherine of Cleves, I know, on the show before because of the fantastic hell mm-hmm. Um I don't know if we've mentioned the Hours um, usually known as the Tres Richures. the Very Rich Hours, which tells you how fancy they are. <laughs> um, and Hours, by the way, it's prayers sort of for every moment of the day, right? These are liturgical hours, basically, so um, over yeah. the week. Um yeah, but of Jean Duc de Berry. Uh, that's one of the most famous. The Limbourg brothers made it; it's just astonishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know there are some really amazing examples that people can probably think of. Um, the Lindisfarne Gospel, right? Um, and of course, the assumption is that these are done by men, and of course, the answer is that they are not always done by men. <laughs> And that is important. The ones I've just mentioned were because yes. we know who did them. Um okay. but well, obviously I mean Lindbergh brothers who did the very rich the, you know, very rich hours. Um the mm-hmm. yeah, Linda Gospel. But you know, there there are absolutely plenty of nuns. Um, and lay women. I mean, there are lay people who did this as well. Um, so it's one of those things. The production of books was expensive and difficult. Monasteries Mm -hmm. and convents had scriptorium. Scriptoria. But the scriptorium, right, was the place where you made books, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly where you wrote in them, you know. So this is why we had, again, those cat moments. (laughs) Because this guy had started, you know, this page, left it open probably to dry. Um, Overnight, the cat came and marked the page
0: shall we say his territory uh and yeah. then
1: yes <laughs> and then he came in the next day and found it and was very annoyed um mm-hmm. and you know circled it and wrote this you know little note that <laughs> curses the cat and says this is purposely blank because right uh the cat peed yeah. on it and then other cats came yeah um so, you know, this is a scriptorium. The other hand, of course, cats are in the scriptorium because they have to eat the mice, because otherwise the mice will absolutely eat the vellum. You know, mice mm-hmm. eat paper. I mean <laughs> mice right. wreak havoc in libraries. Um, and this is a very Oh yeah. You know, manuscripts last forever. And I mean they can mm-hmm. they can be burned. I mean, obviously if they're burned too much they but there are manuscripts that have survived fire and burial and just so much stuff mice will destroy that thing <laughs> like you know yeah. immediately
0: this is actually when i worked in the preservation department mm-hmm. of the um memorial library which is one of the departments that's like way down in the basement they mentioned that like when you think of an old book that you open and the pages kind of crumble into cornflakes mm-hmm. cornflakes being the technical librarian term yes um really that's like <laughs> sort of a late 19th century early 20th century thing where they were making cheap paper with a lot of acid in it yes um and so it it just crumbles like that like older books are really very sturdy yeah.
1: yes um i once took a fantastic class at the newbury library when i was a grad student Newberry library is chicago's you know big fancy collectors
0: special edition library oh, the one with the gargoyles i think um is it the one downtown with the gargoyles? It's
1: more unassuming. You might be thinking the Harold Washington one, which is the oh. really...
0: No, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right.
1: Um, but inside it's amazing, and they have just phenomenal stuff. And um, <laughs> the point, of course, of taking the class there is so you can actually have hands-on experience. And I remember um, the professor, who's really f- famous, you know, scholar, but um, she picked up... Um, I think this might have actually been hers. I think she might have brought in something from her own collection. So this might not have belonged to the Newberry. But she definitely did this on purpose because um, uh, Paul Sanger, who was the longtime like, librarian or the medievalist at the Newberry, who was brilliant, who actually has a very, very famous article about silent reading and sort of the Middle Ages kind of invented mm. what we now think of as silent reading. Reading to yourself. Because, of course, mm-hmm. you read out loud. You know, books were so expensive. There was one copy and you read right. it aloud. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, the whole idea of.
0: <laughs> um, this is also when people started to change over um, from reading sort of intensively one book to reading sort of extensively, like, lots of books.
1: Yes. Think. Yeah. So. Well, also just the idea of, like, sort of private books, that you could afford to have your own sort of, like, mm-hmm. book of hours. Um, and so then that you you would have yours in private devotion. But even then, mm-hmm. you know, private devotion in your chapel, you can pray aloud. People absolutely do pray aloud, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the idea of sort of silent reading, why does it come up? Um, you know, how does it sort of work? How does it happen? Anyway, so this sort of very famous... Um, Wonderful article. Um, anyway, so he was there, and Sandra Heinemann, who was the professor, was there, and um, she <laughs> was talking exactly about this fact, right? And she picks up this manuscript, a little one, so it is a sort of little book. It, and she starts just whacking it on the table, <laughs> um, and she was like, "See, they're very sturdy. They're very sturdy. It's totally, you know." And you you just see his face, yeah, um, and. I think that is the moment at which I'm pretty sure she told him that that was her copy of something. I'm not entirely sure if it was, she had brought a book of hers, but anyway, the point is, um, Mm -hmm. yes, that like on some level you do wear gloves. Like all of these things are true. They are fragile in a lot of ways, but they're also not fragile in a lot of ways because they are so well made. Um,
0: yeah. Right. So I know some nowadays, some archives, they don't always require wearing of gloves. I think it's a, complicated issues yes. nowadays because gloves make you more clumsy yes.
1: it depends a lot on what they don't want you to touch <laughs> right yeah because the vellum you know it's parchment we're parchment right but it's mm-hmm. more about the ink and so on again if the ink is yeah. really depending on what it's made of it doesn't necessarily matter you can have tons of grubby hands all over it but of course you're touching it at the edges anyway presumably I mean mm-hmm. you're not getting your fingers all over it um yeah. so yeah, there's a very sort of delicate balance. But um they are very sturdy. So this is the whole point, right? We absolutely think of monasteries turning these things out. Um I think it's a surprise to find out that lay people absolutely could be part of this, but of course, as the Middle Ages mm-hmm. goes on, as you get things like silent reading, you get that because books are more available. You've wealthy merchant classes buying these things. Mm-hmm. They are literate, right? They're absolutely learning to read. They're not going into the church. Um, You have women who can read, they have to be able to run the households, run the estates, right? Mm -hmm. They can read and do math and all of these things. Yes. Um, And so you have the sort of rise of book production, right? And you need people doing it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, monasteries and convents are mostly turning things out for, you know, themselves or their colleagues. Mm Mm-hmm all of those sort of little private books, who's going to do those, right? Um, So those are frequently done then by artisans, right? And some of these artisans are, in fact, women. Um, So it is absolutely worth remembering, first of all, that nuns are absolutely producing books. Um, And I think, for example, we've talked about Hildegard, of course, um, and Mm -hmm. the manuscript of her work, well, the manuscripts of her work, um, definitely some of them were presumably produced by her nuns. Um, And this is particularly true. For a while, there was a sort of argument that the illuminations for the Ordo, which we've talked about, right, her play, her Mm -hmm. musical, basically, right, she obviously composed music, her nuns knew music. Um, There's a sort of argument that she might have been the one to actually sort of illuminate the book. And Mm -hmm. it's not clear necessarily that that is true, but it was presumably done under her supervision, right, that these do make the characters, right, the virtues look the way she wanted them to look. Um, and if it's done under her supervision, then it is presumably being done by one of her nuns, right? Um, so that's just a sort of, you know, obvious, (laughs) um, example, um, that we have actually talked about. But also, there's some fun sort of numbers. Um, there's someone who has been cited a lot, a talk he gave that is unpublished, um, Douglas Farquhar um, sort of came up with numbers that in Bruges, so Bruges, of course, speaking of Belgium, um, this is one of the big centers for things like illumination. Gorgeous stuff. Okay. Um, And so they actually had a guild of illuminators, right? So you absolutely have lay people doing this, right, as artisans, enough lay people to be a guild. (laughs) Um, Okay. Which, again, you know, becomes common as you sort of move through Europe in the 13 and 1400s. So at this point, you know, um, and by the middle of the 1400s, um, the Illuminators, the number of women in the guild of Illuminators um, increases from 12% to 25%. Oh, yeah. that's not yeah. bad. Yeah. So, you know, that means they end up being about a fourth of the guild, which is very impressive. Um, it's also worth mm-hmm. pointing out that actually it's not unusual to find women. We're going to talk more about guilds and things in the future, but um, to find them at about 10 to 12% of a guild, right? Um, so in this case, mm. they're sort of moving up. Um, and of course, the fact that they're listed as members, it's really important. Um, membership for women in guilds is difficult because, um, or it's difficult to sort of assess Right. Because frequently women are working in a craft as artisans at a level where they're very highly trained. But if they're working for their father or their husband or their brother or their son, um, Mm -hmm. they might not be listed. Right. So they might be working at that level, but they might not be listed as a guild member, obviously. Right. So for women to be listed as a guild member, first of all, you sort of assume that behind the women who are actually listed, there are definitely more women who are not listed. Um, and mm-hmm. that can also depend on the city, so some some cities um, women were are much i mean generally speaking, women are more likely to be listed if they're for example widows, right so that now they 've mm-hmm. taken over the business, you have to list them right because that 's them sure um, and then there are cases where married women are listed, right but it's you know so there you definitely have a sense that there probably are more women working definitely more women working in the craft that are listed in the guilds. Um, that for mm-hmm. women to get into the guild is already a sort of um, extra step in a lot of ways. Um, so the illuminators, you know, here, there are probably more of them, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, there's also, just to sort of say about, um, you know, Scriptoria, St. Catherine's Convent in Nuremberg, which was a Dominican convent, um, it had a very famous scriptorium that was run by the nuns. And in this case, we actually have their, some of their names. So in the middle to end of the 1400s, um, there's a scribe, um, Margarita, uh, active around 1430 to 1489. Okay. And Margarita Cartoycerin. And she, she was the scribe. And about 10 years later, um, an illuminator came, um, Barbara. Uh, Barbara Ghiberti, okay. um, and she she's there the the same amount of time, um, you know, fourteen forty to fourteen ninety one or so, um, and she's so she's the illuminator, and the two absolutely collaborated, um, and their style actually became sort of really popular, um, to a, the point that apparently one of their manuscripts during their lifetime, right, um, sold for what at the time would have been sort do- of double the cost of a townhouse. Wow. Yeah um so i mean they are producing the kind of high quality manuscript (laughs) right like all these sort of other hours that we've talked about or salters we've talked about they're producing that level of quality Mm -hmm. and selling it for that amount of money right in the 1400s yeah um as a sort of partnership you know um yeah dominican nuns so you know so they do reach that level of fame um and there's you know, so there are a number of scriptoria like that in convents where you absolutely have women who are very active, um, and then lay women. So remember, you know, in Bruges you have this example; you absolutely do have lay women who are illuminating. Um, there is also a woman in uh, Bologna, so in Italy, mm-hmm. um, where I mean, you do have a number of women, um, but you have one specific woman, uh, Donella, um, who is who is actually listed in these records um as the wife of William, basically. Um mm-hmm. he made miniatures <laughs> Miniaturis. She's a miniatrix. Um and so she she's the widow, right, of her late husband. Um but she is the one then in this record <laughs> uh which is Bologna, you know, had sort of records um for contracts that were over 20 Bolognese lira at the time. Okay. Um... So, you know, a lot of money. People who are making a lot of money, you know, it's usually mm-hmm. based on taxes, right? <laughs> um, you got to record Probably, the people yeah. who make a lot so that you tax them. Sometimes there are little just tax rolls, actually, um, as well, that, mm-hmm. you know, women get listed on, obviously. Um, so this isn't quite that, but it is keeping records of sort of very expensive contracts people have had. And this is her specifically, right? She is listed as, in her own right, an illuminator. She is the widow of the late, you know, William, who is an illuminator, Um But she's clearly the one who fulfilled this contract. Um, And -hmm. she's the only woman listed – this is the last quarter of the 13th century, so 1200s. Mm -hmm. Um, By sort of the middle or end of the next century, you do get more women mentioned. But of course, again, there could be – there probably are other women working. They're just not making this level of money. Okay. Yeah. Right? So this is a case in which clearly a woman took over from her husband, or I mean, she was presumably working with him. That's the thing, right? You have all these partnerships, Mm -hmm. she's working with him. um, And then she gets the business when he dies. Now it's just her, but obviously her quality was just as high. Right. Yeah. You know, and who knows, maybe she was the quality all along. Like, (laughs) there's no way of knowing exactly. Um, These things happen. But yeah, so she's a great example of a laywoman, in this case in Italy. Right. Um, there's some other fun things. So there's um, a, a woman um, who created a book. Uh, in this case, she herself, she signed it. Um, so this is Frankfurt, the second half of the 12th century. Um, so this is early, early, right? Mm-hmm. 11, late 1100s. It's a book of homilies. Um, and we get a self-portrait as well. And she says, this is Gouda um and she says she signs the book actually she in oh. in latin but okay. um yeah so she says um guda a sinful woman right um wrote and painted this book so she actually hmm. is you know stating here that she did both <laughs> which nice. remember i said was unusual um but in fact there you are mm-hmm. yeah so um in this case, we have someone, you know, a woman who absolutely—and this is very early, again, right? So very early. Um, but a woman who created a book of homilies, um, and in fact, did both write it and illuminate it, and included a self-portrait. Nice. Yeah. So you know, it's not unheard of, right? You have nuns, of course, who are doing this. Um, even then, you know, as with monks, usually one person is a scribe, one person is the illuminator, but. That isn't always the case. You do have people who do both,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that's a sort of great example. Um, I would also like to mention. So, books are, of course, one of the really, really important things going on, um, and they obviously partly because writing and literacy, right? <laughs> Which is a topic we'll take next time, but. Um, That is a huge, important issue. Uh, And so the reminder of how many women really are invested in this craft is really important. Right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, to this day, um, the word author, of course, comes from the word authority. um, And it's, you know, we're just so used to assuming, um, I think I'm going to return to the Virginia Woolf quote, right, that (laughs) um, Anonymous was a woman. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Because there's a lot of truth to it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, you know, if we didn't have these women's names, we would think these were made by men, Mm -hmm. right? Um, If we didn't have proof, of course, we know that convents did have scriptoria, but if we didn't sort of have the proof, you know, people would still kind of look down on it, you know. Um, And that also brings us back to the fact that clearly, some of these women were influential, their styles were influential. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there also becomes this weird thing that sometimes, you know, um, there's actually, I think, a little a toast article blog piece on this. <laughs> um,
0: oh, the toast.
1: Yes. That sort of um, and I, I love it a lot. I sort of pointed out to soon sometimes because it, it points out something that is, of course, a huge point. That is um, sometimes you get something that's absolutely made by a woman and you're like, oh, my gosh, that thing is amazing and gorgeous. Um, and then people are like, how did they do that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And you're like, well, you know, the same as the men did. I mean, yes, some people are really incredible at what they do, but it's not really more amazing than a woman can do it. You know, if a woman's a nun or even a laywoman with this level of, you know, craftsmanship, she's obviously got some privilege. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be sort of impressive that she managed to break through it's not impressive that she has that level of artistry. Cause why not? Right. Right. Um, and then the flip side of course, is that people will see something that's like not as well made. And they're like, Oh, maybe this was made by a woman. <laughs> uh-huh. And you're like, mm. no, men can <laughs> make stupid, terrible stuff as well. Come on. Yeah. Anyway. So that's a sort of added issue to this, you know, the anonymous and proof, right. That women made things. Um, and one example, actually, so to come to actual painters, um, I just figured we'd stop in on Florence. Uh, these women are both early modern, but they bear mentioning, because we haven't mentioned them before. Um, Antonia Pulci, 1452 or four or something. Anyway, 1450s to kind of 1501 or something. Um, she was a playwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was married, you know, um, but, so she's not a nun, originally. I mean, <laughs> originally she's married. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. But anyway, she, yeah, she writes plays, and Florence is actually a really sort of interesting location. Obviously, I think, you know, in the mind's eye today, it looms large,
0: right? Sure. It's a great city. Yes, and it has Michelangelo's and, you know, (laughs)
1: um, all of these things. Very
0: impressive churches.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right? So, um, anyway, so we do have... um, Women as well, who are, you know, absolutely important in doing things. Um, Antonia Pulci is a good example. Um, And also a sort of interesting example because her husband also did literary stuff. Um, But, you know, her name is attached to a lot of this. I mean, you know, we assume maybe he encouraged her or things like this. Anyways, so um, we also have um, women painters uh, and recently, this is why I wanted to mention it, um, Plautilla Nelly, sort of 1524 to 1588, uh, Dominican nun in what was then the Convent of St. Catherine, Dominican Convent, we get a lot of Dominicans here, right? <laughs> um, and the convent no longer exists, but she painted um, in the 1560s, probably, um, a Last Supper that survives. Um, so it was in Santa okay. Maria Novella, the monastery, for a long time. Um, and it needed restoration. Um, and some various art groups that were like sort of women-based art groups around the world, including in the U.S., like stepped in and raised hmm. the money. Okay. And, um, yeah, it took years. Oh, my gosh. I don't know, four to seven years or something. Anyway, it took a long time. It's restored now, though, um, and is in the museum. So Santa Maria Novella. Okay. Right. You can go see it. It's a gorgeous Last Supper, um, and it has this brilliant detail. Um, it is it is early modern, right? So it's, it's very clearly of that style. Uh, she studied the work of previous sort of famous Dominican artists, <laughs> like uh, Fra, Fra Bartolomeo, ah, Bartolomeo um, who, you know, 1472, 1517. Okay. Still a big deal. A lot of his stuff around. Um, but she was you know, okay, there's this narrative <laughs> um, that she was self-taught, which ugh, you know, again, she's a woman, so mm-hmm. she didn't have maybe have the formal apprenticeship training that men could get. Right. But to say she is self-taught is questionable on some level, obviously, because first of all, there probably were other women around who could also paint. Um, right. Certainly Dominicans... Painted, right? You've got Bartolomeo here. Um, You know, I mean, he he dies, obviously, before she's born. Not him personally. But as an exemplar, right? He he existed. He was a painter. Um, So it's not like there isn't the sort of tradition. Um, So first of all, that, right? There's to say, you know, I mean, people used to get private tutored lessons anyway. What is an apprenticeship? Except... Right? So, mm, self-taught. Anyway, and of course, the other side is that when you think about someone like Mozart creating a concerto at the age of four, you're not like, well, but you know, he was (laughs) self-taught. Right? I mean, sure. Uh, You know, on some level, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. There weren't, you know, you couldn't go get your BFA in art back then. Right, right. So it is one of those things, right, this sort of way of looking down on her a little bit, even though her work is fantastic. If you just saw that hanging up somewhere, you'd probably assume that some random guy had painted it. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, so it doesn't need to be qualified. Anyway, um, so this is one of the annoying things, of course, about pointing out what women have done in the past. um, Because there are also some really interesting things about it. Uh, The level of detail is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um so you get like the creased um tablecloth. Yes. <laughs> like you can see the creases where it's been folded, um, and the patterns on the pottery, which, you know, a lot of this stuff presumably matches her own experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um so there's something really impressive about about this work. Anyway, um yeah, and now you can go see it. Um so there is this sort of element, right? There absolutely are women out doing things that you can see today. <laughs> Um, and some of the other things, of course, that exist, we're obviously covering a lot of the religious artisan side of things, because textiles is a whole conversation that we will get into. But, um, windows. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) This is kind of the the final part of what you get in a church, right? You get the
0: books. Like
1: stained glass windows. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so yeah, you get the, the books, you get the frescoes, there are the paintings, right? And you get the stained glass yeah um so again right um the assumption that it's usually men um and again of course it's harder to trace the women because usually they are in partnership sort of with their husbands or whoever um but there are women um so there is an article um by lilich and gothic glazers (laughs) Um, gothic of course you're referring to the medieval period right (laughs) the high middle ages and not the modern literary genre based on the fact that all that stuff was falling apart
0: right yes so um, or the people who hang around the mall wearing black lipstick
1: yes who then took it even further from yes, yes from that um yeah so gothic glazers she goes over the tax rolls. So now we we do have tax rolls. Um, and we've got um, in Paris, there are a few interesting sort of things about windows generally, because people, you know, paid for them usually. Right. It's like putting your name today sure. on a pew or something in the church. Um, when the church is being built, you can donate a window. Right. Oh, Sure. And so you do also have patronage, and that's a whole area that women are absolutely very invested in. Um, you know, we've talked about women like Eleanor of Aquitaine, who's a huge patron of the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, women, you, you didn't have to be that wealthy. That <laughs> you didn't wealthy. have to be the queen. <laughs> right. Um, women at all stages um, absolutely are patrons. Um, there are even some interesting cases, like a family, a rich family that paid for a window, and the family is depicted in it, but apparently they also got some of their servants um, to donate, and so there's this one female servant who donated, like, I don't know, the equivalent of sort of a shilling or something, um, mm-hmm. except I think we're actually in France, so whatever. Small coin. and Yes. I don't know. Yeah, a couple of And she, um, and it's recorded, right? They recorded all the people who donated to this window. And so she's not depicted in it, but she's for posterity in the records of having helped donate for this window. Nice. Right. Um, So, you know, and there are absolutely cases of women um, who were widows donating. Um, And there's an interesting case of um, women who donated for a window where they wanted women in the window, right? You got to sort of pick your scene. Yeah. So okay. you could pick female saints or whoever. And in, I think, the 19th century, um, so the window was restored. It had been sort of, you know, it was degraded enough that the restorers thought that two, there were like four, there were four female figures in the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it had been donated by, um, you know, the, the women, women had donated for this window. Right. Okay. Widows predominantly. But, um, two, two women, I think. Um, but the restorers decided that two of these figures must be male. <laughs> and so gave them male heads. Oh. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's one of those things where it's very clear in the record that women donated. Mm-hmm. Right. But somehow there was just this assumption that, like, you know they're they're widows, so it it had to be them right mm-hmm. <laughs> um but just this weird assumption that somehow like women couldn't possibly have this couldn't have been a woman's window right right so you you had to have some male figures in there, yeah, um, which is weird and bizarre and you know, but happens um anyway, so there are things like that um <laughs> that being said, um there's also a fun report um documented from sort of the early 1200s that says the prostitutes of Paris wanted to donate a window to Notre Dame, uh, but the, okay. the bishop had to decline um, because he otherwise he would have had to receive the money in secret, but, you know, he couldn't really put up a window without saying who paid for it. <laughs> um, and the problem is that, like, accepting their money... It's good PR. Right? Yes. <laughs> accepting their money might have, like, you know given approval for their Mm. way of life, basically. He he couldn't be seen to do that. Um but but there are women who did actually who Mm -hmm. were glazers, basically. Um and so the 1296 tax rules for Paris here, um, we've got a woman named I mean most of the women are named Jeanne. So anyway, but Okay. There is a woman named Jean and she's actually making a lot of money because she's apparently selling glass vessels so she she's not making the fancy glass or as far as we know i mean this is at least how she's making her business because most glazers you had to have a side business because the time and effort it took you to make a sort of stained glass window high quality you know you weren't getting paid
0: (laughs) enough to live right um they're not putting up that many churches in any given year right yeah
1: yes um and so um But she's selling glass vessels probably to apothecaries. Okay. Right? If you think, you know, like chemists today, you Mm -hmm. have to have glass, right? For all sorts of reasons. Sure. (laughs) Um, So that's apparently how she's making her money, um, is making and selling these types of vessels. Um, But there are several other women listed. There are at least four total who are being taxed, which would make them about 12% of the glazers right at the time. Okay. and this is you know 1296 so this is earlyish um so you so you absolutely do have women you know in a craft that might be considered in some ways a little more heavy duty right mm-hmm. um oh, but again
0: you know glasses, the women who are listed oh well, i mean like, hmm? glass is hot and uh i don't know it always looks really difficult when you see glass blowers or people doing that sort of thing like working with yeah, like incredible absolutely. temperatures and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, and of course, you know, a lot of the women again are listed as widows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, behind a lot of the men being listed, you have to assume that there are also mm-hmm. more women, right? Because that's women again are only probably going to be listed <laughs> when. It's just yeah. them. Yeah. So the fact that there are four who are actually listed suggests they're probably more doing it. Um, also because it is the sort of job that was frequently kind of family mm-hmm. job. Um and, you know, could be handed down through families. So and that was very common. I mean, you know, to this day there um there are artisans today who specialize in um, you know, me- medieval techniques, but essentially sort of original works. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, and one of the things they do is restore. Um, that's sort of the thing, right? If you become a stonemason or you know all these mm-hmm. things at a certain level. Um, so for example, you know, when Notre Dame had the fire, and all these people sort of volunteered, but that is very much what they do to this day. Um, and restoring stained glass windows, um, you know, or sometimes if a church has medieval windows and then they're maybe replacing a modern window, they're going to put up another modern window, but they want to try and match, you know, the colors or the whatever of the medieval mm-hmm. window or the style, right? You call in someone like this, who who has that training and yeah. knows how to do it. Um, so these skills absolutely still exist, and there are still women doing this. <laughs> it is worth pointing out. Um, I did want to get in a final theater reference, um, because... Women on stage, you know, we've talked about it a little bit. Women absolutely were on stage and so on. But what about behind the scenes? Right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, there is a sort of famous director. He was an artist. So Vigil Raber. Um, he's in the border of Italy and Austria. Mm-hmm. So Sturtzing, um is what it was called at the time. It's in what's known as the South Tyrol. Um, now it's uh, Vipetano, okay. um in Italy. But anyway, Sturzinger um, is the German, and um, he was an artist and a craftsman, and he ends up writing a play that gets put on in Bolzano, Boson, depending on which language you're speaking. Um, and he, 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 yeah, he writes like a passion essentially that you know it becomes part of the festivities. Okay, um, and he created a sketch of the stage that he presumably also built or helped to build and sort of create and all of these things. Um, and so his wife and then widow continued to run their studio after his death, um, at least until 1563, which is sort of the end of her in the records. Um, she may have died. She may have continued to run the studio until her death later. Okay. Um, it's a little unclear. Um, but yeah, she, she so she was clearly also part of the partnership um, and probably helped out. You know, mm-hmm. in building the sets and the stage and everything for the play. <laughs> um, it's just that, you know, her name doesn't appear as much until after his death when right. she takes over. Right. Um, So that's one of those sort of reminders that there are absolutely women sort of behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, which has always been one of the big discussions about the plays in England, that for the big guild plays, um, women didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. act in them. But the question was always sort of to what extent were women in the guilds? Were they behind the scenes? Are they sponsoring things? Um, And the answer is yes, they are sponsoring things, but also they are in the guilds. Oh, You know, a few, not a lot, (laughs) but yes, they absolutely are, right? Um, So, again, you absolutely do have women sort of um, behind the scenes doing a lot of this stuff, Um. Yeah, so we will talk more about guilds and particularly textiles, which is the thing that women are dominate in a lot of cases. Yes. yes. we can talk more about that next time. Cool. Um but yeah, I just, you know, women are doing a lot of stuff. Um and this actually even includes certain things like blacksmithing and um, mm-hmm. you know, that's the big one I guess that comes to mind <laughs> when we're thinking like what what is it that women might not be doing? Right. Um they are doing those mm-hmm. things. You know. Um, and again, of course, because they presumably work with their husbands and they mm-hmm. keep it going. Um, but yeah, you know, then is now. They're, I mean, they're women blacksmiths now as well, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's not that women can't. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, you know, and yes, they're, they're usually a very small percentage of the guilds. <laughs> but I mean, of certain guilds, of guilds like that, where we sort of well, um, assume that there aren't as many of them.
0: But they are absolutely there. Right. I mean, like, considering that... Um, the popular uh story feels like mm, people believe that women didn't really work outside the home until like 1940 or something yes <laughs> even <laughs> right. even having like 12 percent of your guild or whatever being women feels very impressive yes. yeah well and actually yeah. and like there's certainly like male dominated professions today where if they had like Twelve percent women, they would be like, "Wow, we're really, <laughs> yes. we're making it." Yeah. Yep. No, that's absolutely true.
1: And this is actually, I talk about this a lot. Usually, when I teach this stuff in class, I bring in the statistics of certain professions that we can all think of today mm-hmm. that do not have twelve percent women, <laughs> like yeah. four, right? Um, or people of color, whatever it is, right? And I'm like, okay, so look at that, and look at the percentage of women doing, you know, blacksmithing in the Middle Ages. What do we mm-hmm. think? Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and it's a really interesting reminder of, um, have we come as far as we think we have? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and of course, more than that, the funny thing is that um, we'll talk about this next time more, but sometimes you'll have um, married couples put in charge of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's clearly kind of because um, it is a partnership. I mean, they do this together. You sort of can't, okay. you can't yeah. actually just hire the husband. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? But you have to explain you are paying two people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, but also you would you would probably need two people anyway. But this is why you only need one couple. <laughs> uh-huh. Right? Yes. So do you, you don't need two men because you've got a couple who can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, absolutely. There's a... Um, interesting and we'll talk next time more like guilds can be a pathway sort of into politics and in england theoretically that kind of wasn't allowed the but city of
0: london yes the actual city of london yes um yeah mysterious
1: england yes. england is weird because it in various ways it can be very open to women in the middle ages and ways that other countries aren't but in other ways it is definitely not <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so there is a yeah there's a very interesting kind of um mix there, yeah mm-hmm. but anyway that's I think that's a good Great. introduction to women doing stuff, yes, other than the this other things we talked about previously <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, i mean um it's it feels like seeing a very different side of women, right, to go from thinking of not to not to diminish you know or something, but, you know, mm-hmm. sitting around writing plays or something that feels a little bit domestic to talking about women making stained glass windows or, you know, mm-hmm. blacksmithery. Yep. All or even just, of.
1: like, actually making the book. Right? Yeah. Because even when women write things, there's always somehow this assumption that the copy we have was not written by a woman, which is nonsense. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, a lot of times if she's a nun, her sisters probably cap like they're probably the ones who wrote it Mm -hmm.
0: right (laughs) you know Um, probably somebody at the convent we could say like raised the sheep and prepared the the vellum and Mm -hmm. you know they did all the binding and yeah
1: yep yeah these were crafts that absolutely right that's something Mm -hmm. they did yeah you know and we've talked of course um This is the other side because we're talking about artisans. And, of course, in the Middle Ages, something like beer making was not considered necessarily artisan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So alewives, of course, we've talked about who don't get included in this group, um, whereas bakers would, of course. Um, Right. But, again, baking, we don't think it weird for women to have been baking. Right. But it it was if they wanted to sell it. They had to be careful not, you know, if they weren't Mm -hmm. married to a baker, you had to be careful not to infringe on a guild in that case. Uh Uh-huh. yes um so yeah
0: <laughs> lots of um, rules yes i mean that's the point of guilds right is partially yeah. to help people who have skills not be infringed on by yes johnny up and coming or whatever right is that an right. expression that people use <laughs> just like uh, <laughs> johnny on Something the street like johnny six-pack they didn't have six yes. packs whatever eh, you know they did not okay
1: um, again, because beer was not industrially made. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, but it is funny because, again, yeah, because baking for a women to be bakers is a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't, they cooked. We talked about this before, we type about food, but they did cook, but they weren't usually running the kitchen of a giant estate unless it was their estate. Right. Yeah. In which case they were running the kitchen, but, um, but not necessarily, right, cooking all the food for everybody. Um, so things that we do assume as female work and that even, you know, in the Middle Ages were frequently assumed of as female work. Once they get put on sort of an artisan scale, just like chefs today, mm-hmm. bakers today, right? These are professions that are still frequently heavily male. Yeah. You know, the kitchen of a fancy restaurant is famously mm-hmm. a terrible place to be, apparently. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well. You know. Changing, I maybe, mean, you, but
0: yeah. <laughs> you see the same thing in um, in computers as, as the idea of computer went from yep. just like a woman who would like do a lot of math mm-hmm. to this like crazy thing with electronics and robots and oh boy, it's so sexy now. It's Star Trek and then suddenly yep. you see a lot of men jumping into it.
1: Yes. And of course, women of color were frequently computers famously for NASA right now. Mm-hmm. you know their movie hidden figures um yes and so now you know some of them have been recognized um only one of them lived long enough i think to see it but um you know i mean there, yeah absolutely right and now it's not just men jumped in but also white men right yeah <laughs> yes there there are those definite definite issues um yeah yeah katherine johnson um Yeah, not only lived long enough, but has a building named after her, NASA now, I think? Yes, I think they um, just did that. um, Yeah. Because I think she just died in
0: February or something.
1: Recently-ish, yeah. Yeah. I know, I'm pretty sure Obama gave her a medal, you know, before that. Yeah. Whichever medal that is that you give
0: people. (laughs) Yeah. She was... Yes. Yes, 1918 to 2020. So she died at the age of 102.
1: Yay! That's freaking awesome.
0: Which is amazing. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, awesome. Good for her. Woo, yay.
0: <laughs> and she, re- she received, it says she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. There you go.
1: I knew he gave her something.
0: And, but also a lot of other awards. Yes. Because. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: Um, cool. But yeah, absolutely. Right. It's, um, you know, we haven't jumped really as much back into medicine since we talked about, you know, the plague really in our first episode. Although, um, right. actually, the the laywoman we mentioned from Italy, um, Donella, it may have illustrated medical manuscripts. Um and Hildegard, you know, had a whole medical um mm-hmm. sort of manuscript. So um but yes, you know, as the as medical doctors became um we talked about this a little bit when we talked about characters, what's sort of the difference between right, uh the doctor, who was actually the professor <laughs> character, mm-hmm. and Il Medico, who is the medical doctor, right? Or the doctor of the plague. Yes. Um yeah as the as the medical profession this took a long time again this is modern right as they slowly became professionalized mm-hmm. women get shoved out right so midwives mm-hmm. um you know suddenly obstetricians are all male right
0: yeah <laughs> um although nowadays i think that's swung yes. back there's a lot more the past more, 20
1: 30 years a yeah. lot more
0: um women doing obstetrics yes these days, as there but.
1: should be yes but yeah um yeah. but you know if it swung back in the past 20 30 years that's a good few hundred years that it
0: yeah you know <laughs> doctors were mainly men yes. yeah
1: um and you know again right yeah it's absolutely it's a you know um it's about authority right yes and privilege and mm-hmm. if something becomes more esteemed you know college professors are men not always, of course, but here we are. But I mean, yes, college professors are men, whereas K-12 to are women,
0: right? right? I'm sure that in medicine, especially, there's an aspect of, um, you know, I, I had heard that there's less likely to be women painters who paint figures as opposed to like painting still lifes because it was considered inappropriate to like do nude drawings mm. of men. Right. And if you're talking about entering a profession where you would be learning how to dissect, probably male corpses, um, mm-hmm. I could see people being, you know, that's not appropriate for young ladies to uh, partake of.
1: Yes, there is a lot of this, of course.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> um, it's a it's a big subject. I, I'm going to guess.
1: Yes. So, um, you know, there there are some famous sort of um, uh, departures from that, um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really sort of depends, obviously. Um, I feel like this is something we should probably yeah. talk about. I was going to start on a whole new thing about sort of the first woman uh, to graduate from uh, the University of Padova, which of course was the medical school, um, and so on, but This might be better saved. Yes, we should probably save some of this for the future. (laughs) Um, Yes. But, yes, I mean, it it absolutely is, yeah, the idea of, you know, how could you blah, 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 blah. The funny thing is, of course, at the same time, you know, women of high class and nuns and so on were absolutely expected kind of minister to the poor, including men, you know, Mm -hmm. lepers. Um, So, yes, there's always been a – today, right, doctors are supposed to be men and nurses women – I mean, obviously, a kid
0: not supposed to be, but that has been the long-standing. Right. You know. um, my mom. Yes. <laughs> so, the doctor. Yes. I remember being, yes, my mother, the doctor, I remember being at a take-your-daughter-to-work day with her, and she observed a bunch of small children being led around on a tour, um, and they are all wearing different paper hats, <laughs> and the girls had all been given nurse hats, <gasps> and the boys had all been given doctor hats, and she went what? over and had- very stern words for the poor lady who is leading the tour. <laughs> yes! Who at least claimed that the children had all been given a choice. Oh, please. And the girls and the boys had all made this choice on their own. Yeah, uh-huh. But obviously, being <laughs> being a doctor, my, my mom had right. very distinct opinions about that. Yes. Yes.
1: You know, and as far as the kids, I mean, first of all, kids learn gender roles really fast. Mm-hmm. You know, and they have a sense of, like, what they're supposed to do. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah. if they were told, like, these are the doctor's hats and these are the nurse's hats, the girls were like, oh, we are supposed to choose the nurse's hats, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, right? But there's obviously, you know, it's, it's just hypocrisy. Because, of course, nurses actually are the ones who, like, bathe the patients and stuff. So yeah. to pretend, you know, but somehow that's considered motherly. <laughs> right? Matrons. It was not yeah. word for, like, the head. Yeah. So... Yes, there's a lot of you know Orwellian doublethink and hypocrisy, of course, going on in yeah. such things. Um, yeah, and a lot of women just called it out. <laughs> yep. But okay, we can talk more about that later.
0: Yeah, let's. <laughs> yes. We're gonna leave it there. Um, <laughs> yes. But this was great, and uh, next time we still have uh, guilds and textile production to hit. Okay, so thanks for joining us. And you can follow us on Facebook if you want to get our announcements. Um, We are Ask a Medievalist, of course. We have a website where you can view all of our episode notes and links to fun um, related materials. For example, in this episode, we'll probably link to a bunch of manuscripts for you to take a look at. Um, since we discussed so many of them, um, hopefully we'll put up some links to, uh, stained glass windows, that sort of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you enjoyed our show, um, rate us on iTunes or just tell a friend that they should check us out. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's all the announcements. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, have a great, have a great time. Until next time, and uh, keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni, Veni, Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons attributional non-commercial license version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at <laughs>